their secret mountain lair somewhere in Colorado, this is the Image Doctors Photography Podcast with your hosts, Jason O'Dell and Rick Walker. It's time for another episode of the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. Good to have you here, Rick. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, fun fun times. Um, let's see. We didn't uh, have We're going to go shooting, right? We're going to go uh, out, play around more with the 100 to 400, hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. that we talked about last week. So that'll be, that'll be fun. So more on that as events warrant. Um, kind of haven't been doing too much um on my side in terms of taking pictures <laughs> lately so um since we i went think out last, you may be trying something else out we well we got get that additional time with 100 we'll, to 400 we'll get that and i am going down <laughs> to san diego next week um so uh, i'll be doing a lot of bird photography hoping with hopefully we're trying some good autofocus algorithms right <laughs> so yes and to be specific what might you be taking uh, well, if all things go according to plan, I'll have a Z9 to use. Okay. That's uh, yeah. just sort of a circumstance that came up, but we'll see what happens. You know, it should be, it should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't expecting them to be as available as they are right now. So lucky me. Um, first world problems. <laughs> yeah, that's how yeah. it goes. Yeah. Anyway, um, but today we're going to talk about something different, which is um, high dynamic range photography and where that sort of is right now because you know once upon a time hdr meant one thing um it's it's sort of uh, i won't say it's going away but it's different now it's 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 clearly different than you know 2010 when when you saw a lot of hdr stylized images coming out with a certain look uh hdr is still around but we can implement it in a lot of different ways now we're going to talk about some of that today right yeah, and I think it's pretty accurate to say that the intense HDR look is pretty passe in general. There, there could be still times for it and stuff, but you know, there were some people doing almost all their photography that way, which looked kind yeah. of cartoonish. Yeah, and and that that kind of went away in general a while back. I agree. So we're, what we're talking about will include that. But really what it is, is how do you handle scenes with a wide range of brightness levels? What do current cameras do on their own? You know, which is a whole lot better than the ones in the past. And and just some of the techniques and tools that you right. can use to do all that stuff. And And I think that's important. I think when you talk about HDR today, um, what I think when I say HDR is not the stylized, you know, crazy look, mm-hmm. but instead a tool that I use to capture dynamic range that would exceed what my camera could do by itself. Um, and so that means knowing to recognize those situations, um, you know, and knowing that I can then, you know, do things on the back end. You know, HDR is always a challenge because there is two parts of the workflow. There's what you capture that has to be Mm -hmm. set up right. And then there's what you process it to. And you can go down a lot of different rabbit holes on the processing side. Um, You can also go down a lot of 
uh, crazy, you know, overkill on the capture side. So mm -hmm. what is it that you're really trying to do? You know, if you're trying to get a particular stylized look, well, that's one thing you're going to want certain software for that. If you're simply trying to do the compression of the tones, in other words, to get the expanded you know, tone range that you couldn't capture when your camera, you can get away with a lot less. Um, uh, it's a lot easier to work with these days. In mm -hmm. fact, I would say with HDR software in the past, the hardest thing to do was get something that just looked natural. Yeah. It was always too much like the tone mapping piece, the the texture, the 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 structure, the the clarity, whatever tool it might have called the micro, you know, structure make could tend to make things look really, really harsh or even over compressed. So there is an art to it on the back end that's gotten a little easier depending on which tools you choose to use with your software. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of reframing this, this is all about a a scene where the brightness range exceeds that of your camera. And that's not a good thing. Right. The reason right. I add that, and it's not a good thing is sometimes that's quite all right. And the best example has to do with shadows, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with blocked up, completely black shadows, certain images. Sometimes that's exactly what you want to get the right kind of punch in the image and to have some nice negative space. Sometimes, a lot of times, people try to recover way too much shadow detail and they end up with these really low um, contrast, kind of weird looking images. All of us have had it happen to us at times. I certainly have. Oh, oh absolutely. It's, it's, it's easy to do. You, you sometimes have to just step back and sometimes say, no, I actually want blocked up shadows. If you're That's shooting perfect. into a sunset or a sunrise, sometimes a silhouette is okay. Just expose for the bright details and yeah. let the dark stuff be dark. And if you can recover a little bit of shadow detail, that's fine. But if you try to recover all the shadow detail, it actually just looks weird. Yeah. It doesn't work. So in those scenarios, um, you know, you might be tempted to use HDR and, and instead it, it not. So this is cases where, now th that being said, you can shoot into the sun with certain types of, of scenes and get really cool results. Sun coming through trees, sun, sun, you know, on a horizon, just coming up, you know, behind rocks or a mountain or something like mm -hmm. that can be really quite interesting um, in the right kind of scene. And I do this all the time um, on my trips to say the Badlands or when we've gone to you know, Oregon, that that can be quite fun, you know, if you're on a beach or something. Um, but you have to be aware of it. And, and I think one thing is some people well, a lot of people, my clients especially, there was a time when everybody just started bracketing everything. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't need to do that anymore. And I think there's a part of knowing HDR is not only what you can do, but is having a, an awareness of your scene and what you're trying to capture to say, should you bracket this or not? Mm -hmm. um, and should you capture, because for those of you unfamiliar with the, the concept, the idea of HDR is you capture more than one photograph because each photograph is exposed slightly differently. Some are exposed to get good detail in the shadows, other are exposed to capture all the detail in the highlights, and then you merge them together into a final product. And while this is effective, it has, it has some potential pitfalls and drawbacks, um, you know, the way you set it up. But there was a time when you would just kind of go out there and bracket everything. Um, 
you don't need to do that anymore, especially if you're using you know any relatively current camera. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say over recent years, recent being like the last at least five years, um, times the number of times where I've actually shot bracketed sequences have been a lot less than in the years prior to that. And when I have, the number of times where I've actually used all of those shots, which you know normally are like three, is very rare. The times where I've used two of the shots has been rare. The number of times where I've just picked out one of the shots and used it has been really high. Yeah. So even when I think I might use it, I often, I most of the time do not. So it's, I find myself using it a, a lot less. However, it still can be useful at times. There are images that you'll run into or scenes where you just, you need more than your camera can do. Yeah. And bracketing and, and getting three shots, maybe two stops apart from each other can let you take advantage of several text techniques, not just putting them through HDR software of some sort, but other things too that we'll talk about. Now, one challenge that I used to have, well, one is mm -hmm. you identify the scene and anytime you're shooting kind of directly into the sun, uh, other than what I was talking about, uh, where you've got like a, a prominent subject where the subject isn't the sunrise, let's say, but there mm -hmm. is a sunrise, but you want to get a good foreground, let's say, and it's backlit. You know, that's when I'll switch to, to HDR. But one of the things you can do, and I think this is where cameras that offer live histogram, whether it's part of the live view on your DSLR or in the viewfinder on the LCD of a mirrorless camera, this is a super powerful tool because you can, you can make the necessary decision on not only if you need the HDR, um, but you can do it before you even capture anything. In the past, you might've taken a shot and realized the highlights were blown out and then you, mm -hmm. you keep fiddling with, and there's, you can still do the iterative trial and error, but I think what's really great is to be able to recognize the sort of hallmark signs of a scene that you might have problems with. And for me, that's when I look at my histogram, you know, even if it's more or less contained, you know, if, if all the tone values are contained in the histogram, if I get a U shape, in other words, you have a big spike on the left and a big spike on the right that image is going to be a real challenge to process correctly. You might be able to do it, but you have, you know, where you have very little tone range in the middle of your histogram, mm -hmm. you know, you might consider HDR. Um, and in the past, what you would do is depending on where you metered, you know, your metering was biased towards shadows or highlights, you would have very mm -hmm. different starting um, exposure settings. And then you would bracket off of that, right? So there was trial and error involved. Now with the live histogram, what I like to do is set my first exposure manually um, to, to use the histogram so that I know that the, let's say the highlights are all contained in that, in that part of the histogram, you know, that, that upper third without mm -hmm. clipping. And then the bracketed shot, I could either do manually or I could just use, you know, two shot bracketing where the second shot is plus two or plus three EV that gets mm -hmm. my shadows. And the advantage of using that is you can put your camera into high speed advance. You can get very fast two frames. You can even handheld those, handhold those and not worry too much about movement because with HDR, multiple shots, 
the longer the interval between the shots, the more likely there is something to move. Either you move the camera or the subject moved, and that creates problems, right? So I found right. that technique to be tremendously useful. Uh, just a two-shot bracket, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Where I manually set the exposure using just the histogram. And if you do that, it doesn't matter what metering mode you're in. No. It, it just doesn't matter. Doesn't and matter at all. It's, it's fabulous. Um, and I'll, I end up wasting fewer shots. Yeah, I, I've done the same thing when I needed to, um, you know, get that kind of uh, sequence off or whatever. It's, it's pretty handy. So then you get back to your computer and let's just talk about some, some options that you have because there's two paths that you can go down. Uh, one is you just want to merge the, the images to get a clean sort of natural looking image. The other is you want to do stuff that gets that sort of more uh, exaggerated, stylized tone mapping mm -hmm. look. Um, and and the, the two are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> you know, you can, do, right. you can do this, but there's some, some techniques. And so one, one thing I know that you like to do um, with two shots is sometimes just blend the two images together. If you're trying to get natural looks, mm -hmm. adjust, adjust each of the two exposures optimally first. And then what do you mm -hmm. need to send them to Photoshop, right? As layers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll use the feature in Lightroom that just allows me to send those off as stacked layers in Photoshop. And so you go over to Photoshop, which is already open automatically. And, and then you can use a brush, you can use, you know, a, a gradient filter in Photoshop, whatever you want. And, and you can also do higher end techniques like luminosity masking or things of that sort. You have a lot of choices, but you don't, you're not doing that blending all over the image. Right. You're just using the pieces of each one selectively yeah. and you make a composite. And, and this is one of the decisions, it's related to one of the decisions that you have to make. Um, if you use HDR software, whatever it is, even if it's something more natural like Lightroom or Capture One has the feature now too, um, or if it's, you know, something like Aurora or um, some of the older um, HDR software tools, they'll compress the whole image. And what that can do is it can take the sparkle out of the highlights. It can take the punch and blackness out of the shadows everywhere, just everywhere. And sometimes that's okay, but a lot of times it just makes the whole image go flat. And then you spend a lot of time working to get it back to a, a more normal thing. Yeah. So the blending techniques, whichever ones you use, um, typically avoid that problem. It's just that they take a little bit more work. Right. And you want to have good, well-aligned images. You can do layer alignment, but if you shot out of a tripod, that, that helps. Um, yeah. Even handheld, as long as you're kind of careful, and especially if you've got image stabilization of some sort, you can often get away with it, you know? Yeah. And, and there's alignment, there's layer alignment tools in Photoshop. Yeah. It's just that if you've used a tripod, you probably wouldn't need to use them. Um, yeah. It's always a good idea. To but the HDR software has the alignment feature too. It, it, you know, exactly. Typically. But I was, I was talking about if you send layers to Photoshop, oh, yeah. they're not going to auto align unless you do no. some tricks. So that's, that's yeah. a thing to, to keep in mind. Now, mm -hmm. HDR software um, has some good and bad points. You know, it's, it's generally quite powerful when it comes to compression. It also tends to 
you know, on the downside, uh, there, there's two downsides. One is it's very easy to over overdo things Extremely. and make it look crazy. Um, but the other thing is 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 an overlooked thing, and that's the workflow impl implications. If you use a program, if you like to use a raw converter that gives you a particular output, particular settings, the default operation for most standalone HDR programs, and this is, you know, Photomatics and Aurora and, you know, HDR effects from, from, you know, Nick collection is that you have to batch out a sequence of images, either in the background or files to your computer that are all matched in terms of the settings you've applied to them. You've got to be really careful. You've got to have the same white balance and the same sharpening and the same you know, profiles mm -hmm. across everything, because if you don't, um, you know, like, let's say you forget to turn lens distortion corrections on for one, you know, you'll get an image that doesn't match up and you got to redo it. Um, and then or you'll get at least weird artifacts in portions of the image. Exactly. And then what will happen is that, um, and then when you're done, typically what, what comes out is a, a, uh, Usually it's a, a flattened TIFF file, you know, some kind of TIFF file that, that you have. Uh, and so whatever you did is kind of baked in there. And, and that's, that's the case. Now, some HDR programs do have raw support, but when you do that, you're using their raw converter and not the one that you may have been used to using. And, and here's the um, additional piece of info. It's never a good raw converter. <laughs> right. Well, it's very much limited. In what, it's extremely in what limited. So you may not have lens corrections, um, a whole host of things right. that you're probably used to. Those right. all go away. So if you like to merge files for HDR, whether or not you want to make them look extreme or natural, um, in the last five years or whenever this got updated, when, when, when Adobe put... Um, HDR merge into Lightroom. I was a little skeptical about, you know, how well it would work. And then I discovered its its killer feature, which is that, you know, from a quality perspective, you get a very natural image that you can work with. Um, that part is good. But the real killer is that when it merges your raw files, it does so in Lightroom and creates a DNG, which preserves all of your camera raw uh, elements, meaning that you can change any of those parameters after you've blended the files together, after you've merged them into this HDR. And that's DMG a wonderful file. thing. It, it is worth it's, you know, it's worth it right there for that. Um, yeah, you lose out on certain things like certain batch functions and whatnot. But if you do kind of fine art HDR, uh, and you're not looking just to do, you know, industrial batch processing mm -hmm. it, it, it's a good tool i mean there's pros and cons to all these things but now, it's I mentioned, great yeah i mentioned capture one adding the feature it came in and capture one version 22 which is the current version it's very similar to the lightroom approach it even creates a dng just like lightroom does and if i remember correctly i tried it and i could even operate on that dng with both programs they were nice. both happy with it that's a good thing it is a great thing yeah the capture one implementation is not quite as mature as the the adobe one you know it's it's a first gen thing mm -hmm. for them so one of the things it doesn't have is a feature called deghosting, oh, which we haven't yeah. talked about but it's it's a thing that you'll find in the lightroom version you'll find it in um, all the hdr specific programs and it, it's to handle a situation where you have subject movement 
And essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to pick this one image out of maybe the three that you're working with um, to have the data in this one area where there's movement. Mm -hmm. um, that's what it does. And it's, it can be very helpful with scenes like moving water or if, if there are any people in the scene or anything mm -hmm. like that. So Capture One doesn't have that feature yet. That's a bit of a killer, in my opinion. Yeah, I am tough. certain it'll be there before long, and then it'll be very similar to the Adobe thing, but it's, it's just not quite there in several ways. But it's getting close. Oh, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it, it's a feature that most HDR programs have, and mm -hmm. they have them in different forms of... Um, you know, some let you set the reference frame you actually want to choose and you know whereas Lightroom yeah. is more of an automatic thing but it's all it's all good but but they give you different different effects now what I like from this particular workflow is that I've started with a DNG raw file that contains all my camera information but it happens to have merged of you know two three whatever however many shots I took so I've got all that tone range there and then I can just do one of two things i can adjust it in lightroom directly um using the onboard tools and a lot of times that just gives me what i want you know i can recover shadow and highlight detail appropriately and then use other tools to to set the black points and and get everything looking very natural but there are times when you want to use a stylized approach and one of the things you can do is um, if you've toned, if, you, if you've if you've merged your HDR uh, your HDR file, <laughs> I will talk better. Um, you uh, promise. Huh? If, you, if you've merged <laughs> your file, you can send it to an external editor, including most HDR programs or Photoshop, and use that and do what's called single image tone mapping. You can even do this on non HDR files. Absolutely. It, you know, Just and a normal and get, shot. And then you would have access to all the stylistic tools like the microstructures and the you know crazy stuff that you can mm -hmm. get um, in a tool like Aurora HDR, which is the one that I have. Um, I think it's probably the best one out there right now. I agree uh, for that. Um, but it's it, the only one I've used in the last few years. Yeah, it hasn't changed too much, but it's um, it's still very good, and um, you know that's nice. And so I know that if I do that the resulting file, which will be a TIFF uh, or PSD if I went to Photoshop, uh, I might not be able to redo that, but I still have my merged master that I can go back to and readjust if necessary, mm -hmm. which is to me a lot better than having a merged series that I you know, have to go back and reprocess five images for. Right. So that's that's kind of how I'm, I'm using things. Um, frankly, um, you could also just, a lot of times I'll just use things like color effects, like the uh, tonal contrast filter or the detail extractor filter. And a lot of times that gives me the look that I want just from the, or, you know, previously merged Lightroom file. What mm -hmm. about you? Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Um, if I want a little bit of that look that we're talking about on occasion, I've used Aurora for that. I just have to use one of its, absolutely conservative settings and then even dial back further um, with yeah. that yeah. Um, it just starts too strong the other programs are you know i i've not used the nick hdr program in many many years it's just awkward and it, it's hard to rein in and there just aren't a lot of great natural choices mm -hmm. for natural stuff i find lightroom to be wonderful you know it's just 
Right. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, your point about making sure you set your blacks and whites right so that not everything becomes a mid-tone. Um, you know, and a, there's no automatic answer to that. Depends on the image, no, right? Right. It, de it depends on the scene. But yeah. what I really like, you know, so to, to recap, you know, HDR is now, I view it more as a tool for getting me more dynamic range, potentially cleaner shadows for certain types of images or a tool that allows me to capture an image that would otherwise be impossible. Mm -hmm. um, an image where you've got a very backlit subject um, and a sun in the frame, you know, starburst sun in the frame coming up on the horizon, which would honestly be impossible to capture with pretty much any camera out there right now. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, there are plenty of times where I run into situations like yours where I'll take one image and just ah, I can pull the highlights or pull the shadows up and I'm good. I'm I'm happy with it. And then I avoid all the ghosting and merging and <laughs> all the other stuff. So I find HDR to be better as a dynamic range type of tool these days than a stylistic tool. And one thing, you know, just to add for completeness too is you can do an HDR image and you could also process let's say the the middle image of your sequence and stack those and do some very selective blending of those two images where mm -hmm. maybe you brush in just some isolated portions of the hdr image mm -hmm. but not the whole you don't want the whole thing it's mm -hmm. just an area where you want some of that effect and that that's a really good technique too that i've used on occasion yeah it works really well if you do that in photoshop yeah. Say you send your natural looking image to it and then do the HDR filter in a layer and then paint that in where you mm -hmm. want it for those details. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great, great technique. Um, well, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Um, so if you've got thoughts or questions for us, you know where to find us. It's out there on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash image doctors. We look forward to hearing from you. And uh, I think one last thing I'm going to say before okay. I say bye too is, don't be afraid to experiment with this uh, stuff. Yes. yes. Don't just listen to us. Don't just read things on the internet. Take your own shots. Try it using your own software. See what you like. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to experiment. Too many people are afraid to experiment. Uh, that goes for a lot of techniques, not just this one. That goes for everything in life. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Got to try things. Well, thanks again for listening to us drone on for the for, for another week, and we All will right. see you soon. All right. Bye-bye.